is Yadu from the south side of India and welcome to Machan vs. the World podcast. Hello everybody, we are moving away from Europe. We are going to my favorite part of the world, which is South America. And with me today is Andrea, or as I like to call her, Andy. Hola Andy, ¿cómo estás? Hola Yadu, ¿cómo estás? Muy bien, yo muy bien, ¿y tú? Soy increíble, como siempre. (laughs) We started talking in Spanish because that's how I incidentally met Andy. Do you remember that story? Yes, of course, I remember. It was like um, in KFC, right? It is in KFC, uh, yes. I was with my friend and we were talking in Spanish and this kind of weird Indian guy just asked <laughs> us about, the, hey, are you talking in Spanish, right? That was the question. That was a stupid question, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say like, yes. <laughs> and I remember that um, you were um, watching a football match. Yes. Right? And because... we were losing that football game. So I was really <laughs> angry. I was like, fuck. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, uh, that so was the time. Did... I'm sorry. Um, no, no, no. You just decide to make conversation with totally strange people, yeah. and that was really, really good. And do you yeah. know what? That that was exactly I think in February or something last year, or maybe even before that. I was starting to learn Spanish, so I just knew three sentences in Spanish. It was like "Hola." And I was like, okay, yeah, you've been learning this Spanish. You have to test it on Spanish people to see if they understand. And I think you didn't quite understand what I was saying, but I kind of, yes. kind of yeah, but I kind yes, of made I it did. out. And Andy has been one of my Spanish teachers. And I've been sp- learning Spanish for exactly one year now. I started in February last year. So Andy has been helping me a lot with my Spanish. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, that continues and I can like speak Spanish quite well with all the mamacitas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I have to say that you're a great student, really. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm committed to Spanish. <laughs> exactly. So and this is a student here. She is a master's student in art and theater and humanities at Erge art, and, art and humanities would be good. Okay, Arts fine. and okay. okay, so could you tell us more about that? What are you studying? What are you doing in Moscow? Why Russia? All those crazy Why? questions. Why Russia? Good question. A lot of questions. Well, um, I decided to come here because I wanted a scholarship. And I say, like, uh, why not? Let's try Russia. It's far. I don't know the language. I always love um, Russian literature. So I say, it's, it's a good opportunity. Why not? Um, and uh, my master, well, it's focused in cinema. I'm actually writing a thesis about uh, Soviet cinema and friendship. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I will graduate in, in June, so pretty soon. I'm really excited. And uh, I'm planning to stay in Moscow because, well, I love the city. I love the atmosphere here, uh, the people. There's a lot of... Um, foreign people as well uh yes the weather it's difficult of course yes but now right now there's really sunny days so i'm really happy because of that it's still very cold but it doesn't matter yeah. i just need sun a little bit of sun and now will be good 
And well, uh, the culture, um, it was really, at the beginning, it was really difficult to understand uh, why Russian people, they look so like angry all the time. Well, in <laughs> contracts, contrast, right? Uh, I'm from Latin America, I smile all the time, and we are yeah. so open and... Uh, yeah. But now I, I do understand and I really like you do Russian understand? people. You, you do understand why <laughs> Russians look pissed all the time? Why they are like that. I mean, I understand why they don't smile on the streets. I understand uh, why they do, they behave the way they do. So, uh, yeah. And now that I can speak Russian, not perfect, of course, but uh, now that I can, um, it just really, it's been a really amazing way to understand um the culture, you know, when you know Russian and it's everything changed. And yeah, I'm really happy here. And um, mm -hmm. yes, you know, I have met a lot of uh, interesting people like you, Yadu, and people Thank from you. all over the world. <laughs> people true. from all over the world. So yeah, it's been a really nice experience. Interesting. So um, just to contrast your education in Colombia, because you studied something of from the humanities line in Colombia. Yeah. You studied French in Colombia, and how would you contrast that with the education you're getting here in Russia? What's good? What's bad compared to what you had in Colombia? Well, um, I was in. I think that in Colombia, um, the system is more. Um, how do I say that? Um, we have a fourth exams in every semester for uh, every, um, like, um, signature, how, how will I say that? Uh, no. How is that in Spanish? Asignatura. <laughs> <laughs> That's an exciting term. I'm trying to remember now in Russian. Asignatura. Asignatura. No, it's like a model, a model? Yes. No, 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 for, for the whole semester, we have uh, four exams, right? Okay. So uh, here in Russia, it's, it's different. We usually have one really big exam at the end of the semester. Right. So at the beginning, it was really a shock for me because, um, well, in Colombia, you know, like, uh, okay, you are in the middle of the semester and you already have two notes, two, so you know what is going on, you know? But in Russia, it's just a surprise. You have to like basically learn everything and, and uh, remember all the information for one right. big exam at the end. Right. So for me, that's not good. I think that it's it's not the way I used to learn, but I like that Russian teachers, they are more, yeah, maybe it sounds uh, difficult to believe, but for me, they are more, more easygoing. Like- uh, Easygoing not, in the sense? going in the sense that they're not uh, they don't want you to fail mm, you see okay. maybe okay. it's because uh, I am minastranka I don't know but uh, I think that in general um, the idea of the the grade in Colombia it's really big it's really important and teachers don't care like if you fail you fail okay see you next semester oh. but I think that Russian teachers yeah yeah they are like that I think that it was, uh, I was expecting that kind of um, like a rhythm at the beginning. But mm. later I realized that that's not how the Russian education system works. They actually want to help you, you know, like uh, they don't want you to fail. 
But in Colombia, um, yes, there's a lot of teachers that they actually say to you, like, I don't care if you fail or not, uh, I'm doing my job here. So it's your problem. It's not yours. It's not mine. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I feel like better because I understand that they, from my point of view, I think that the Russian teachers, they care more about their process than about their results. And, Interesting. Well, I'm not sure yeah. how how much I kind of um, looked at it from that perspective because, in a way, I think I'm kind of uh, they're kind of discriminatory towards me, in a positive mm -hmm. sense because I don't know the language so much, so they don't expect a lot from me. And even if I do something like half-assed, they're like, "Okay, good, he can pass." That's that's kind of how mm -hmm. I see it in the sense that. Uh, they don't have a lot of expectations from you as an international student. I kind of get that vibe. Well, you know, I am the only international student in my Same. master. So I'm the only international that, student too. You know, I, at the beginning, I was, uh, some people, they told me like, oh, maybe you will have like a special treats because you're um, foreign. But actually, no. I mean, in the exams, I have to do the same exactly same thing that uh, my um classmates so yeah. the same test the same um everything so right. i feel like uh okay I, it was good because i think that i i have learned a lot but it was really hard because i wasn't uh, i was like okay i'm here i am Okay, I prepared these exams, but my ration is not great and uh, I can't compete. I just can't compete with my classmate that uh, it's a Russian native speaker. True. But, well, I did that and I feel like after every exams, usually, ah, this is another different. Here we have a lot of um, oral exams. In Latin America, True. it's not True. often, only, only for... Um, for the language, yes, of course, when you're studying well, French or English, yeah, you have an oral te a test. But here, like, um, they can just ask you and ask you a lot of questions to teachers, you questions about everything. So it's kind of intimidating. I prefer to write. For me, it's easy. Yeah, for but, us, writing uh, is much easier than having like a conversation. Yeah. Because they won't understand what we're saying, we won't might not understand what they're saying. So it's a bit of a bad tete-a-tete. -tete. But yeah, what about the language thing? So you are a Spanish speaker. You know French before you come to Russia. I I yes. kind of have this feeling that Spanish speakers find it easier to learn Russian. For one thing, you are used to verb conjugations, which English speakers are not. Second thing, mm -hmm. you have masculine and feminine, and Russian has masculine, feminine, and neutral. So you guys mm -hmm. think on that lines from your native language, while English speakers don't. And yeah, and third thing is like your adjectives are, you know, masculine and feminine. Yeah, that's the main thing, like the ver verb conjugations and the masculine and feminine aspect of adjectives. Do you think that makes it easier for you as a Spanish speaker to learn Russian? At the beginning, yes. At the beginning, of course. But uh, after that, um, 
is I don't see a lot of difference because um, my my problem with Russia actually is the sound, the new mm -hmm. sounds that doesn't exist in Spanish. It's just really difficult to you know to speak and because I, I do I mean I can say it like um, I know that it's uh, the correct way to say it's a circle circle. Mm -hmm. When I speak fast, I just say circle. Like I don't put uh, a lot of uh, emphasis in the, um, in these sounds that that they're new to me. True. So no, I mean I think that the Russian is just kind. It's difficult. I try not to see in that way. I try to you know, but. Um, I, I don't want to sound like, oh, no, Russian is so difficult, but it is. It is it difficult. Is. There's some things that uh, I still don't understand. I mean, I'm able to communicate and I understand, I can write, okay. But um, I go further to a deep um, level to understanding. It's really like... Um, not difficult for me, even, I, okay, I speak Spanish, English, uh, French, and things are not uh, especially easy because, well, uh, Russian language is from another uh, family of language. So, yeah, like, for example, for me, it's so weird that um, they don't, uh, well, sometimes they don't use uh, to be, the verb to be, like, tidoma, if so, что это for me was like really I was trying to understand um well French Spanish and English they have the to be to be so yeah. in Russian they don't have and this is a really basic um uh, verb we use it all so, the time we use it yeah, all, the time. It all the time yeah. so understand one language without that it was um the good thing was that they don't have articles so yeah. well in, in English it's not a problem, but in French and in Spanish articles are a problem, yeah. Yeah. So So one thing that a lot of these humanities uh, art nerds kind of <laughs> fantasize is I'm going to, so if you're going to Russia, you're gonna learn Russian language and you're gonna read Dostoevsky and Tolstoy in Russian, <laughs> and they consider that to be some kind of this Guinness World Record winning experience, like an achievement or something. You are kind of the person who might think of that and actually try to attempt that. So have you done it? Have you tried of trying to read well, Tolstoy or Dostoevsky? I mean... The first time that I tried to read Dostoevsky, it was uh, I was living here for six months, and I just you know I just started with um, with this um, book of um, small um, Skarsky. Mm -hmm. um, well, I I do I was surprised uh, about how much I I understood in that. Right. Uh, yeah, but uh, when you try to learn um, a more complex book like um, a crime and punishment, is just another yeah. thing, because uh, well, just the, the narrative is it's another thing. Even that, okay, I I read a crime and punishment in Spanish. I already know what is going on, the situation. It's just another thing in Russia. Uh, but yes, I did, and um, I feel good. Like obviously, I I did not understand everything, but I try. I did, 
And yeah, I feel kind of, yeah, you know, I, I read Dostoevsky <laughs> in the original language. So yeah, I respect, respect. <laughs> yeah, I, and I do understand like uh, uh, the first time, well, I read Dostoevsky in Spanish and I didn't understand uh, why they have a lot of names. Like one person, they have like yeah, four. That's true, actually. But now, okay, I live here. I know the Russian language. Okay, I got it. It was like, a, yes, I do understand why you have five ways, why <laughs> the writer insists in give you five different names that they don't, yeah. they don't seem similar at all. But uh, yeah, That's so I true. love that part. No, for the people who don't understand what we're talking about, let me give you an example. So, for, for example, take the name Vladimir. You can call him Vladimir. If its full name is, let's take Putin, for example, Vladimir, Vladimir Vladimirovich Putin. So you can call him uh -huh. Vladimir. You can call him Vladimir Vladimirovich. You can just call him Putin. You can call him Vova, which is like the short form of Vladimir. And what else can you call him? Yeah, so you can call him by four different ways, depending on your relationship to him, how close you are, what if you're his dad, mom, uncle, granny, cat. So all these the names are so different that when a person so i i get calls from an unknown number and, and he says hey yeah dude this is sonia i'm like what the fuck are you sonia and they're like sonia alexander and i'm like oh alexander yeah so for us it's yeah. quite a struggle to understand who we're talking about because they change their names depending on who they're talking to so yeah that's that's interesting that's one aspect of russian literature which if you haven't lived in Russia, if you don't have a lot of Russian friends, you won't understand. That's true. Hey, let me just pull the curtain blinds down. I look like uh, Edward from Twilight. <laughs> yeah, slightly okay. better. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So let's talk about Colombia. I, I, oh, until the start of this Columbia. podcast, I was thinking you're from Bogota, but that's not true. Uh -huh. You're from Kakuta? Kukuta. Kukuta. That sounds so much yeah. like the Indian city called Calcutta. It's like the capital of oh, Bengal. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Calcutta, Kakuta. yeah. Sounds so, similar. So tell me about that city. Tell me. Tell me about well, your city. I, I'm, I'm hyper-nationalist about cities. And I know Colombian people are very uh, proud of the region they're from as compared to like the whole country in general. That's what I heard. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of the same. I'm like a Kochi for life person. I'm like, I'm from Kochi before I'm from India. Yeah. So tell me about Kakuta. Kuguta. Okay. Uh, well, it's, it's really close to Venezuela. Actually, I can be from the city center to Venezuela, maybe 13 minutes. So it's really easy to go there. And um, well, I can basically the, the city, it's um, when like uh, we are so close to Venezuela that uh, before like um, historical, the city, it's been um, a commercial um, like for um, exchange uh, things with Venezuela, you know, like uh, um, gas and um, uh, products and uh, a lot of this kind of um, things. Uh, well, my city is really hot, actually, like the, the weather, it's always uh, sunny, it's always warm, 
uh, I think that the temperature usually it's like, um, uh, well, now I'm thinking the numbers in Russia, but no. There are volume градусов of такие. Now I just forgot the numbers. <laughs> now, you now, now you only think numbers in Russian, yeah? Okay, fine. <laughs> sometimes it's it's weird because sometimes I need to remember the numbers in Russia and I just remember the numbers in Spanish. And I have this um, situation with numbers, but okay. Uh, what else? Oh, well, it's a really small city. Uh, I actually don't like that much. Like, um, it was um, not for me, you know. I was uh, more like a cultural girl, and we we only have, like, one big library there. So uh, I was really, like, trying to go to live in another place, and I did. I moved to study my university in another city. The name is uh, Bucaramanga. So Bucaramanga. I lived there for... Yes, I lived there for six years. Yes. Oh, okay. So, um, well, the, the cities are uh, quite in the same like a region, so they're not uh, a lot of different for each other, except for so the fact you, that uh, Bucaramanga is bigger. Like and... I mean, no, your... no, no, no. We are far away from beach. From the so, beach. do you have we, like mountains, or is it like? I am a mountain girl. In ah, Spanish, okay. we have the, this expression like a montanera. Montanera, montanero. okay. Uh, that it's a person that, that like live in the in the mountains and I love uh, the mountains. So okay. yeah, I am that kind of girl. I always prefer mountains over beaches. So oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's just um, the weather. It's it's nice. It's always sunny. The food, of course. Yeah, I I, I will talk about food because we have um and i think it's like an arabic thing you know i will try to like um know more about this because i really don't know but we have um, chickpeas like a chickpeas um tort like uh, this kind of mm. you know what it's an empanada okay. right uh, yeah uh, but it's, it's not sweet it's salty maybe you uh, have something i don't quite understand what the empanada is Okay, it's like uh, okay. What is that? I just know the arepas because you made it for me. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know how to explain that. Maybe. Let me just Google just... that. Empeñada. Yeah, please. Another. Empeñada. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. And it's full of um, uh, chickpeas, like this okay. um. Yeah, and it's so good, but it's like a um, a puree with uh, chickpeas. Oh. So yeah, it's like the most traditional food there. And we also have this soup. I love soups with um, uh, well a lot of vegetables, and uh, it's really interesting. The story of this soup. It's the name is mute. You write like mut. The name of this stuff, mute. Yes, mute. What does that mean? But um. Well, in, you you write that exactly like a uh, mute in English. So M O O D. M O T E mute. Okay, mute. mute. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, mute in Spanish. Uh, mute. mute. Uh, it's like a, a soup that um, it was uh, in the times of the colonization. So it's basically a, a soup 
uh, with a mix of everything in the soup. There's like uh, corn, there's uh, chickpeas, there's uh, different kind of uh, types of meat. There's like um, um, kartoshki, vegetables. <laughs> uh, vegetables, everything, everything. And it was uh, from like a really long time and it's really like a, the traditional food. It's a mute y pasteles de garbanzo. That's the name of the, like this empanada of chickpeas. Ah, and okay. yeah, it's the food. It's just, you know, it's traditional food is always better in the streets, of course, of or course. the one that your, your babushka made for you. So exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I, I, I was quite fortunate to get like some real mm -hmm arepas from you mm -hmm. and your friends so Andy invited me to an apartment of a friend and they made arepas so they made two variants of it one with chicken <laughs> and one vegan variant for it and both were really delicious I liked both of them both was really nice and it was my first chance of trying an arepa and Andy told me that it's really important that the floor that you get to make the arepa is from Colombia because the ones you get, get in Russia, the texture will be different and it won't taste the same. And on the topic yes. of arepas, and since you're close to Venezuela, there is this huge <laughs> contention going on between these two countries as which yes. country is the homeland of the arepas. Colombians say it's Colombia, Venezuelans back to the for they say it's Venezuela. So what's that story, Andy? Why is there a civil war uh, for arepas? <laughs> I am for peace, so I will say both because <laughs> Yeah, because, <laughs> in the past, in the past, maybe you know that uh, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, eh, eh, Panama, we were uh, one, one country. Gran so Colombia. we are really like Gran Colombia. Yeah, exactly. So we are really we have a lot of similar traditions, similar food. Uh, we speak uh, in some regions really similar, like um, um. The Caribbean part of Colombia speaks really similar to the Caribbean part of Venezuela, and they look really similar. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that we are brothers, sisters, so food who is... Who don't like sharing yeah. arepas. Your brothers and sisters yeah. who don't I, like sharing arepas. Well, in Colombia, we have more than 10 type, types of arepas, you know? Oh, okay. Like, um, yeah, it's there's like sweet version, like a small version with a lot of cheese, without cheese, uh, with a lot of salt, without salt, a lot of uh, different versions. But um, usually the like the typical uh, Venezuela arepa, it's, it's the arepa that I, I share with you. It's it's usually that like, like this kind of size, like the size, and it's full of um, avocado, and um, mm. the fasol and uh, meat, beans, 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 and uh, and meat. Yeah, so this is like the, the perfect Venezuelan combination uh, beans, avocado, and meat. Yeah, mm. just like the yeah, I, 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 and it's really good. I, I have to try a lot of Latin American food, I need to come to yeah. Latin America. As soon yes. as I have to try it, that's why I'm like so committed in learning Spanish because there's it's such an interesting part of the world I need to explore. So let's explore a little bit about the geography. So you already told who your neighbors are. You told Colombia, modern Colombia is neighboring Venezuela. It has uh, mm -hmm. 
Venezuela to the east and uh-huh. the Pacific Ocean on the north, Panama mm-hmm. on the north, then the Atlant- mm-hmm. Atlantic Ocean too. You, you, I think you're the only country that has both Atlantic and Pacific coasts, correct? <coughs> Yeah, I, yes, I think. Oh, and Panama, and Panama too. Well, like, um, yes, yeah. No, I think there's more. There's more? I think there's more. There's more countries, yeah, with the same. Mexico? I think Mexico also has. That's Maybe, yeah. I'm not quite sure. Flynn. Political geography. Than... Oh my God, yes. yeah. I, 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 I used to be good at, uh, no. at geography. <laughs> I now I'm like. No. Yeah. That, uh, Actually, like in theory, um, we make this um, a different differentiation between uh, oceans, but all our oceans are just one big ocean. You know, like yeah. uh, it's only our way to to understand the world better. But uh, in o- oceanography, oceanography, well, just like the sign of the oceans, they say that like it's pretty yeah, much it's one. just one. Ocean. And we're just trying to understand better, so that's why we do we put names on that. Yes. But, but that's actually not true. What I just said, actually, Mexico has it, Nicaragua has two coasts, mm-hmm. Costa Rica, Pana- mm-hmm. Panama, Colombia. I think so- in South America, only Colombia has that. Yes, I think, yeah, mm. brilliant. So, um and other than that, you are bordering Ecuador, you're bordering Peru, and you're bordering Brazil. Am I right? Brazil, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh, you're right. And uh, that's quite an interesting location, because if you are coming from North America, you cross Panama and you come into Colombia. Colombia is like the gateway to South America, correct? Yes, it is. Yes, it um, is. We actually, like, um, yeah, no, go on. No, no, I'm listening. Uh well, we actually have like this um, big airport in Bogota because it's yeah, like if you are intending to oh maybe maybe you hear about that, but this is like um, a route for people that want to explore uh, South America. It's usually start in Colombia and it goes to La Patagonia in uh-huh. Argentina. Argentina. Yeah, yeah. so people. Some people do that in motorcycles or by hitchhiking, or if you want to try, maybe another. That is on my list. That is on my list. And, and you know why? There's this movie called uh, Motorcycle Diaries. It's like Che Guevara's story where he rode his motorcycle from yeah, uh, Miramar in Argentina all the way up to Colombia, I think. And for every guy from India, that movie is kind of like our dream because we have this motorcycle driving culture. So when I saw that, that's how I actually kind of started to get interested in Latin America through that movie in particular. Because uh, first thing, like since I'm from a communist government, Chekhovar is like worshipped as a hero, both by stupid people and people who don't know anything about what he did or the politics, just that he smokes a big cigar and he looks like a cool dude, hence he's a cool dude. There is that kind of vibe. And second thing is this movie where he takes that bike and goes from Latin America. And I was really enamored by that romantic exploratory uh, instinct because even before my hitchhiking, I saw, I rewatched that movie just to get that, um, that, that feeling of being able to connect with people when you're traveling as a nobody. And that mm-hmm. was quite interesting to see in that movie. So like it all, uh, I would 
absolutely it's 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 on my list it's it's a goal of mine to do south america all the countries of south america from colombia all the way down to patagonia and i hope i'll be able to do that and i'll definitely eat your arepas on the way (laughs) and you already have friends in in colombia in ecuador and uh, in argentina yes in chile in in peru maybe i don't know but there's a lot of people there like able to help um um travelers so yeah it's it's kind of an adventure actually yeah. and, uh, that, that, it's really beautiful because there's a lot of things to see in that um extension of land you know it's there's machu picchu like like this big um, famous uh tourist attraction so machu picchu uh like um the desert of At- um uh Ataka- atacama no in Chile, yeah, mm-hmm. like the best play, one of the best places in the world to see the stars, like Ooh. to do astro, astro, astronomical observations. So, yeah, that's a lot and the mountains ah maybe you know that uh, like this uh, big uh, mountain that um, start in um, in venezuela it finish in um, in argentina the um, andes and andes andes, andes. 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 in english yeah. it's called yeah. andes yeah. Uh, yes how's it in spanish <laughs> los andes los andes yes los andes. Mm. yeah yeah dude it, it, south america is yeah. you know what i like the most about south america as a guy who comes from a place where just my language is spoken only by the people of my state. English is spoken all over India, but you have to be a little bit privileged to speak English. Not everyone speaks English. I find it so cool that just by learning Spanish, you can travel from Mexico all the way down to Patagonia and be able to communicate with people. That is so cool. And I'm very jealous when I see Latin American um friend groups in Ruden because you guys can be from Argentina, Chile, Mexico, El Salvador, but you guys talk to each other like you know each other 100%. And the uh it's so easy to communicate and make friends with Latin American people if you speak Spanish. I I, I become so jealous when I see Latin Americans because you guys have you can listen to so many different history, so many different life experiences from different parts of the Latin American world and still be able to communicate like you understand everything that that person says. Even for an English speaker, that is really cool. And I see that. That's why I want to learn Spanish because I want to be in that uh, subculture. (laughs) Yeah. With the cool cool people. (laughs) Yes, with the cool people. Right now. Okay, yeah, you can yes. Okay, you can oh, sit with oh, us now. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. That's a great honor. <laughs> you know, the other day at Starbucks, me and Kristen were ordering a coffee and I fooled the barista. The barista is like a Russian chick. And I fooled her like, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking in like English, we were talking to each other in Spanish, me and Kristen. And the, mm-hmm. this girl is actually learning Spanish in Rudin. So uh, she asked uh, like, where are you guys from? In Russian. And then I said, I'm from Colombia. So they're Colombia. <laughs> And I wrote my name on the cup as Jesus, like Jesus. I told, uh, what's your name? Like, Jesus. <laughs> and I got it written as Jesus. So, yeah. 
it's it's super cool yeah. it's super cool being latin latin american yeah it's really and we are um well like the the main like ideas we're really similar like to each other well we ch- we share the language the the past like we were part of the spanish empire so we have uh, like religion we like the most religion it's a uh, like the most popular religion is uh, Catholicism. So yeah, we we share a lot of similar like uh, value, values and uh, yeah, it's 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 quite it's really nice that. Uh, and I here, actually in Russia, I have the opportunity to meet a lot of people from Latin America. I think that uh, I know people from each country of Latin America. So yeah, it's it's really it's really cool. It is. It is. You guys still like value that uh, social connection. I think unless you do know what it feels like to talk a language, is that not a lot of people understand, which I kind of do, because my mm-hmm. language. Do you know how difficult it is to find a person that speaks my language? I just know maybe maximum ten people in Moscow. So I might go like weeks even months without speaking my own language and that feels very linguistic uh loneliness as i like to call it yes. well for yes. me it's not a problem like uh, a lot of people even uh, if they they're not native um a lot of people here in russia actually study spanish and speak yeah. uh, really good spanish so it's like a really popular language here and so yeah even like um russian people and they do speak really good spanish obviously they usually study spanish from spain because well it's it's easy easier to travel to spain vosotros yes (laughs) but even well spanish um from spain and from latin america we can understand each other without any problem so that's really good, yeah. Uh, no, I never feel like linguistic lonely. Maybe at the beginning, maybe yes, at the beginning. But later, no, I, I met a lot of friends, of Latin friends, and uh, yeah, yeah, I feel like home, you know, when yeah. we meet. Like, I'm so jealous. Yeah. I'm so jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can be part of us or oh, our you. group. No, yeah, I'm you trying don't my need best. to be jealous. I'm trying my best by learning verb conjugations to be part of the Latin American family. Because I kind of look the part. If I say Ruski, no one's going to believe me. But if I say I'm from Colombia, there is a chance that someone might believe Jesus, yeah, right. Hola. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So, Andy, so let's go back in history. Because South American history is for me very fascinating and it's very similar to how indian history has also been portrayed in the sense that everything predating colonialism hasn't been given as much importance or as much doesn't have as much written uh history as what happened after colonialism that is the case with india and i think that is the that is also kind of a case with Latin America. So let's go back to pre-Spanish times. Who were living in Colombia? Who were the native tribes there? Do they still live in Colombia? And what has been their influence in modern-day Colombian society? Well, um, before, like um, we were like this big community 
uh, that uh, it was located in Colombia, in Ecuador, and uh, in, um, in Venezuela. Um, I'm trying to remember now the name. It's not... Uh, uh, no, I don't remember the name. It's, it's not the Incas, it's not the Mayas. It's not the Incas, it's not the Mayas, it's not the Aztecas, it's um, a specific one. Chipchas, Chipchas. Chipchas, okay. Chipchas. Uh -huh. And uh, yes, we, well, you know, with Spain and with them, um, they, um, they came to Latin America um in this part of the in, in colombia in this territory um the people were really pacific so they were killed really easily you know mm -hmm. like uh, maybe you know that in in chile still they have um indigenous people like the mapuches. Mapuches, yes? yeah. because they were like fighters yeah mm -hmm. but we, we we didn't actually the arepa it came from that period before Spanish time in, oh. in yeah yeah it's really an old tradition arepas so yeah the chipchas they live there in this um, in the mountains and uh, well they they were pretty much killed uh, and not only for this like uh, you know that when Spain people came to Latin America um, they also had a lot of uh, diseases yeah. so. You know, these people was like clean with clean water, sunset and everything. So they were a lot of, um, they were just killed because of the sickness. Um, but yeah, now in like the churches, they don't exist, but we we are a really big country actually. Um, and uh, in the close to Amazon, close to we where? still have, uh, close to Amazon, you know that the Amazon, uh, jungle. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, Amazon. Uh -huh. yeah. Amazon, um, it's in a part of in um, in Brazil, in Colombia, in Ecuador. So in this part, in the in the south, uh, there's a still indigenous people living there, but they are protect, so they don't uh, have a lot of um, interaction with the not indigenous people. Also mm. in the in the north, uh, we have indigenous uh, in in. La Guajira, that's the name of the of the place. Well, you remember that there's a song that say like um, Yeah, I, I was just thinking about it. <laughs> soy un hombre Guajira. sincero. Ah, yes. Yeah. Well, Guajira, it's like a region in the Caribbean. Yes? Ah, so in okay. yeah, it's not only in Cuba, it's also in, in, in oh, the I thought Caribbean. it was just Cuba. It's, it's not just not. Cuba, yeah? Interesting. And um, well, in the, in La Guajira, we still have um, uh, indi indigenous people. They are more in contact with civilization, and they make these uh, beautiful um, handmade uh, bags, handmade um, rings, and all these kind of uh, things. And they like uh, they are more open to civilization, but because they need the money, so it's mm -hmm. like a kind of a tourist attraction. And um, yeah, there's more. I think that there's more than 20 group of indigenous people still living in Colombia right and, now, more than and 20. And do they speak the indigenous <laughs> languages or do they like yes. speak Spanish? Yes, they speak indigenous language. Some, some groups, they do speak Spanish. 
uh, but not uh, all people in the group, you know, like this is okay. I am um, the mother, I speak, I learn how to speak Spanish, I will teach the language only to my to my kids. Yes, okay, because they need to one um, representation to communicate with the people that only speak Spanish, but not all the people in the communities speak Spanish. Like oh. even yeah, Spanish is like the national national language, but um, we also like if you need to write something in um, like a legal document in another language, you totally can do that. Uh, but yeah, it's a language um, being a tribal language. Yes, yes, they okay. are. Okay. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, yeah, we have um, like sad, it's it's really sad because um, a lot of um, communities they are really small right now, and we are losing the language. Like um, the the you know this amazing idea that we have. Yeah, Spanish is the main language, but we still have indigenous people that speak their own language, um, even with all this process to the colonization of of that uh, there's a lot of indigenous people still living in brazil in colombia in ecuador in bolivia and paraguay. pretty much Do yeah you know, paraguay in, in, has the official language to language, be an indigenous yeah. language Guar yeah. guarani i think it's called guarani yeah, yeah they have I, I, I was really surprised i did a podcast with uh, paraguay in espanol yeah. and i was like really surprised because the paraguayan person i was interviewing can actually speak that language too and it's yeah. part of their education system so i was like wow there is a south american country where the indigenous language is really given importance and that is paraguay yeah. i think in comparison with all the other south american countries yeah. it's really cool isn't it yeah no it's it's kind of sad because like my education was really like a focus in um you know, literature from spain and from latin america but we don't actually like we don't care like uh, that much like in general people don't care like the past is the past and it's really difficult to actually uh care about something that you don't know if you don't know the story of these people in Spanish, there's a lot, a lot of words that came from um, from these indigenous people that we still use every day. Can you give yes? an example? Uh, for arepas? example, yes, I think that arepa, arepa, it's not um, it's it's just the preparation, but I think that arepa, it's not uh, it's not oh, um, okay. I, I'm not quite sure actually, but the uh, chicha, like it's um, a drink like uh oh. alcoholic thing that we made um oh well i need to think about it um in uh, in bogota they use a lot of words but now i cannot think in in, in any word oh. but they are why do you say in bogota they use don't you use it in kakuta yes yes we use it but in bogota it was like the the biggest um place to the chichas to live so ah, okay. they were like the biggest um, indigenous community, and yeah, we use it. No, we actually use it in in Latin in in Colombia. In Colombia, we use it. Yes. Right. Um. What else? I want to see something. Ah, yeah. You need to go if when when you go to Bogota, you need to go to um, El Museo del Oro, like the Golden Museum of Pain. Museo, net, net. Museo del 
Oro, oro, golden, golden museum. Ah, if you want wait, wait, to wait, wait. can I just um, clarify? Dolor means pain, but this is yes. day. What did you just say? I say oro. Oro means golden. Oro. Oro, okay. Oro. Uh, like orentum, <laughs> like from the Greek word orentum. Orentum is like the uh, the chemical name for gold. So that, that, I think that's what the, yeah, orentum. It's like silver is yeah. like augmentum and gold is I like orentum. So I think that's what I got. There. So and is is El Dorado also from Colombia? The legend. Yes. Yeah, it, it is. is? Uh, could, could you Columbia, talk yeah. about that legend? Because I only know it from Indiana Jones. <laughs> Actually, there's a place. I, I there's a place close to Bogota. It's a really big lake, and that uh, it's like the famous place where it's supposed to find. Well, the legends say that um, in in this part of uh, Colombia. Uh, exist uh, a lake, yes, mm-hmm. and uh, in the lake, um, it was full of gold, full of gold, and uh, actually, that uh, that happened like, um, indigenous people they have this tradition. I will need to uh, check it that out because I really want you to see, um, why this is in Russia. Oh my god, <laughs> well, point of the <laughs> of the legend is that actually it was a um like a ceremony and this like the name of the the person was um cacique cacique was like the most important kind of the queen okay like the like the king sorry like the king um so he he made this uh ceremony and he was using just gold you know like this big um gold um like I, I, I will show you because uh, I really want you to see that. Um, and actually, all that information is in the Golden Museum. Uh, okay. And you actually you can see all the, well, the name of the Golden Museum is because a lot of this, all this gold, then uh, it was in, in, in that territory, you know? So all this gold is from the indigenous um, oh, wait, tribes. So it, so, yes. so the Spanish explorers actually went looking for El Dorado, but they never found it, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, but it 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 was because it's really difficult because in like like the geography in in, in Colombia we have a lot of mountains, so it's really difficult to know where you're going if you you know if you are just like. Um, maybe a desert or you can see, but with these mountains and these variations, it's really difficult to, to find something. And also the indigenous people, they were really smart. So um, like um, Spanish people ask like, we are looking for, for gold. Yes. And they, they understood that and they make, oh yeah, uh, the golden is over there. But actually, it was not. In, okay. So they tried to, like, you know, to protect. Oh, um, oh, yeah, I want to see this. Oh, I just uh, yeah. ignore that stupid sound. This means one uh, para is over in Ruden. <laughs> Do you hear the sound? A little bit. Yeah, okay. A little bit. Where are you? 
and now I can see you. Okay, no, if you can uh, just Google um, Golden Museum because uh -huh. I don't know to do. Golden Museum, uh, uh, Bogota? Yeah. Bogota, yes. Uh huh. Okay, it looks like a big shopping center. Dude, there's so many old, uh, how to say, indigenous okay. tribal things in gold. Uh-huh. And it, because they have so much gold that they they were able to do that, you know? Like, um, yeah. people don't understand that um, the golden from, uh, from the indigenous point of view, it was not like, oh, it's gold. It was like something... Um, something good something beautiful and something that they want to appreciate they mm. the golden themselves they didn't have like this uh huge value that uh, we give to the golden really? so yes of gold course. wasn't no, like, gold wasn't was... no carry on mm -hmm. no for the indigenous people like golden it was just a really beautiful material a really beautiful thing of course it was important but it was not all oh, i will kill someone for golden because mm. in that uh, in that uh, territory golden it was really everywhere that's why wow. that's the reason of the legend because it, it was everywhere so uh you know they just used like a form of art and uh, yeah, you can see this beauty or oh, this this museum. It, it's just really beautiful. It is. It is. Yeah, it's definitely beautiful. Have you heard this yeah. Valestine's uh, world systems theory, in which he talks like the Portuguese and Spanish empires kind of collapsed at one point because they just relied on exploitation of gold to feed their wealth in Europe. And when the gold stopped at one point, their empires kind of defaulted or collapsed. While the British and the French, they were more into production of cash crops. And hence, they were more successful in prolonging their empires than the Spanish and the Portuguese. Have you heard of that theory? No, but uh, for me, it has a lot of sense because... Uh, from the, the things that I know about the, the colonization, yeah, Spanish um, empire was really focused into convert people into Catholicism, yeah? Mm. So, like, they really want people to learn the language, yes. They, obviously, they did a great job. Very effective. <laughs> and very effective, yeah. It doesn't matter. They kill a lot of people, but with other <laughs> Spanish right now, so, yeah. And um, so language, they were focusing language, religion, you know? Mm. But they actually, um, it, like, um, the way, yeah, it was golden. It was like um, another kind of, um, like, esmeralda. Esmeralda. I don't know how it's done. Esmeralda is it's like, like a diamond? Like, it's like emerald? a diamond, yeah, but it's... Emerald? Yeah. Yes, yes, I think that's that's right. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was more about, uh, okay, we have a lot of resources here, natural resources, so let's uh, just take take everything. But they didn't yeah. make like this kind of, okay, we have to, um, I don't know, to start to produce something. 
you know right. they didn't yeah. like actually do that so yeah i think that um and obviously when you explode all the people they eventually will die really soon if they don't have a good life uh, you can expect to to a slave to live uh, more than 15 years you know it's just yeah. it's not sense and also the spanish empire and the portuguese empire are relate on um on this transit of uh, people from africa to latin america yeah. you know like a lot yeah. of people in brazil that uh, it was like the biggest um um point center of the um slave trade to the slavery is slavery trade yes and also in in colombia in colombia we have like um um black people these black communities that they identified uh, themselves as afro afro colombians yeah. because they they are like 100% afro yeah and they have lived there since uh, the start of the uh, colonization and yeah it was basically language um slavery sadly and um religion so yeah it was not uh, like a, in the long in the sh short term yeah it was really good a really good business but uh in the lower in the long term it was just yeah yeah but so yeah the, we will get back to that topic slightly later on, but I am curious about um, how the Spanish conquistadors are seen in Colombia and Latin, Latin America in general, because in yes. one sense, the conquistadors, conquistadors are like the Spanish for colonialists who came to uh, Latin America. They are the people who founded the colonies, who started these countries, which, which later became colonies in one sense, that is like the fathers of your countries. In the other sense, these are the same people that exploited the natives, uh, brought in slaves, and just focused on exploiting the resources to send it all back to Spain. So how do Latin America in general and Colombia see these people, the founders, the conquistadors in South America? And just to add on to that question, do the do you call yourself Colombia because Christopher Columbus was one of those conquistadors who came to Colombia, or is it some other reason? Yeah. No, that's the reason why we have that name. Well, first, yeah. it's really interesting. Well, we have um, this um, twelfth of um, October. Yes, that was the date of the in like in my in my times in the school. They say us. They say to us that it was the. Um, like discovery discovery of america they mm -hmm. didn't say like a lot of they say like in the most beautiful way and actually we um like kind of um um colon it was colon it's in spanish in Columbus. colony colony yet yeah, yeah, yeah. cristobal colon in english christopher columbus that? Columbus, okay. Columbus, yeah. um, he was um, like a really big, uh, an important uh, person, you know, for the history classes. Like, yeah, uh, he helped us and he he's great. Obviously, right. I, I, I am not that old and I grew up with that uh, mentality about, oh, yeah, thank you so much, you know. He just like discovered us, he gave us language. We already have a language. He gave us like. Well, Christopher um, Columbus is actually an Italian. 
It's Italian, right. yeah. Yeah. Italian. <laughs> he didn't, he yeah. didn't actually give you the language. It's an Italian dude who was working for the uh, Portuguese monarchy. So it's actually a yeah. contradiction if you say Christopher Columbus gave you Spanish. It's absolutely wrong. Yeah, but well, because he he was the leader of all this process. So yeah, he was like the most important historical uh, person. So yeah, we like people used to like uh, dress uh, like him in the school for this like. Um, um, like parties, you know, in, in the 12th of October. Yes, it's the day. That's the day of the um, discovery. discovery discovery of America. But a lot of people now, now, they don't think so. Like uh, they don't, we have, it's a holiday. It's a holiday in Spain. It's a holiday in Latin America. Hmm. And yeah, it is. And in this holiday, it had changed a lot, like the a lot, the perspective of uh, in like the the past ten years, I think, because now people celebrate indigenous culture. Like this day, now is the day to celebrate our um, uniqueness in the the, um, the indigenous people. You know, like right. we have to celebrate our diversity. So in I think then in. In Bolivia, it's the name of the indigenous land or something like that. The, the name, it's not, it's not the same. And we have changed um, like this um, way to, um, to tell our own history because we, we didn't know that uh, it was that um, difficult for indigenous people. I think This yeah. meeting is being recorded. Yeah, so indigenous people, um, yeah, we we need to understand, like right now, myself, I do understand that we are a mix. I'm not indigenous 100%. I'm not Spanish 100%. I am a mix of everything, of all the cultures. So for me, it doesn't have any sense to have like this um, historical um, hate about Hispanian people. Why? Why are we think that? It's it's already in the past. Yes, it's in the past. I can't I can't change history. Uh, a lot of people say, yeah, no, people from Spain, they just stole our golden, our resources. We have to do something. Hey, listen, it's been a long time. Uh, for what? I mean, the for my point of view, the good things to do is yes, to give indigenous people more, um, like to be more interesting in indigenous people, not to hate people from Spain. I just don't see the point, not to try to, the, the, the history is what it is. I can do anything and I, I speak Spanish. It's the language of my uh, conquerors. What can I do? And I really think, uh, I feel really good. I love Spanish. and. Yeah, maybe it's a bad thing to say, but I'm really thankful to to actually um, that Spanish is my mother tongue. I feel really happy. I just love that. So maybe I will not have in this moment that much opportunities to live in Russia, to travel, if I will speak only an indigenous language. You see? True. So it's just, I, I don't, I'm not saying that uh, the thing that Spanish people, they did, it's not wrong, because obviously it was 
but for the time, you know, it was the the ethics. It was different uh, for our time. We have to. We need to try to change our um, perspective. Try to educate educate ourselves to learn how actually things uh, were. But it's also very difficult because we can only understand history by the eyes of Spanish people. You know. Because uh, indigenous people, a lot of indigenous people that they write, the documents are not available anymore. So we can't actually know exactly what happened. We only have like one perspective, you know? So yeah, it's still, there's indigenous people, but they are different. Now they, they also don't have like the resources to tell us. It's been a lot of time. So... For me, it's important, yes, to understand history, to understand our past, uh, but also to understand that we are part of uh, two different, like we are a mix, you know, we are the contracts, we are this thing that happened, uh, a mix between indigenous people and people from Europe because they also have Portuguese. So yeah, we, we, we are a mix and uh, for me it ju just doesn't have any sense to hate anyone. Maybe it's because I am a pacifist, but yeah, that's my point of view. Just, I just try to, to understand myself like uh, I am what I am. I, my, my name is from Spain, my last name is from Spain, my religion is a Spanish religion. And, everything like a lot of things that i am um, are from spain spanish culture what can i do in my like for example it's interesting because there's a lot of countries or even like regions in latin america that uh, they don't think like me for example in guatemala there's still a lot of a lot of indigenous people there and people i have friends from guatemala they look really indigenous like the mix between them and Spanish people, it was really little. So they still speak um, indigenous language. Yes, they do. Maybe they will tell you another thing. They will not tell. And they have indigenous names also. But mm. from my point of view, I am a mix, you know? And um, uh, yeah, in Mexico also, not not in all Mexico, Mexico is really a big country and you actually, there's like um, in the north of, Me or of Mexico, um, Mexico. White, <laughs> Mexico, yes, Mexico, they, they are white, 100% yeah. white, yes. And also in uh, Chile, there's some um, regions in Chile that uh, they were uh, people from uh, Germany. Germany, they're, yeah. Yeah, they're pretty much German people. So every person we tell you their own history. That's my history. I am a mix. That's um interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it, it, the point that you told where the indigenous histories are not available. And what we have right now is only the Spanish one. It, 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 from an Indian sense, we have something of a similar uh, situation there. All of most of the written history about India was actually written by the British. So British always had this contempt towards our cultures and religions as considered to be less civilized than the European ways of life. So 
all our let's say traditions and histories and all that things were like written as a sense of like a less civilized they documented it in a way that it's not important it's not civilized and that yeah. is kind of something that modern day indian historical revisionism is trying to change where it's trying to say that everything was better before the british came and the british came and fucked everything up which is also mm-hmm. not a really good uh way to look at things because you're just revising history based on what you want to believe at that particular point of time so for me latin american is latin america is also a parallel in that where most of your history was written or documented or available now only after the europeans came and started documenting it so it is only documented from their perspective of the way in which they would consider the natives for example myself being a native of india to be less civilized our cultures our songs our dances our traditions are not as important as the european one so it causes this asymmetry of information currently where we don't know more about ourselves but we know more from what the british wrote about us in that time and um it's quite interesting for me that's why latin america is very interesting for me it's quite, it's a very good parallel for how india could have been or would have been so yeah, yeah. it's also super interesting because actually we call our like people indigenous because india because of yeah. the india you know uh, columbus was trying to get to to india and well <laughs> that's that's why we have like yeah. indigenous at the beginning they thought that, that they were in india in india um, yeah. Yeah, but there's a, there's a still a lot of shame in Latin America. Um is it is it we, offensive to call somebody Indian in Latin America? Is it like a derogatory term? People used as an insult. Like they call you eres un indio, like you are an Indian. But yeah. not refers to in, people from India, it refers to indigenous people. Why you is know? that why is that offensive? Well, it's a I mean for me like uh we are really um i have to say that sorry we're really racist because in, of the way that uh, in 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 latin america and if people if someone say that we are not racist they are lying we always prefer like uh, the white culture we always prefer things from outside and even look at me i'm not white a lot of people they are not white but they you know it was like this brainwashing of the spanian people they always prefer the whiter the better so we we are really uh racist and even we have uh black people yes we have black people in latin america but uh, there's still a lot of discrimination um and that's sad i mean it's sad but people use that use uh, the word um indio just not to like people of of different color no they use indio as um synonym of um not civilized people exactly like, oh you are exactly. you're like an indio you are a, exactly. your behavior is like yeah and that's kind of sad but that's the narrative that um it's it's with us after the colonization that okay but I, i i need to say this because it's really important 
uh, in in the in the colonization time, there was like this uh, fray Fray Bartolomé de las Casas. It was fray? like this really like, Fray Bartolomé de las Casas. He was from Spain. He came to Latin America to um, teach religion. You know, like his uh. Uh, main goal was to convert people. So there were a lot, a lot of um, churches, uh, Catholic churches, of course. And he realized, he realized that actually, uh, and he, he is really famous because he wrote uh, a book. Really, I, I wrote, I read that book and it's really interesting to understand how he thinks about it. He explained about the tortures of the indigenous people, of black people, about all this process. Like, he was like a diary. So he write like, yeah, today, I think that these people maybe are not, are, stupid and uncivilized as we think. And he realized that the um, indigenous people, they were really smart. And he said that um, indigenous people, they had a, a soul, you know, like mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. people from Spain, they think like uh, black people, indigenous people, they are pretty much animals. So yeah. it doesn't matter if we kill them or not. I we don't care because they don't know God and they don't have a soul. But exactly. the Fray Bartolomé he realized that indigenous people they were smart, and he said we can't kill indigenous people because they have a soul. But black people they don't have a soul, so we can kill <laughs> black people. Yes. <laughs> Say <laughs> so that, and that's uh, why you know all this process with them, um, slavery became really strong. But well, that's that's the point of view of um, that history. Is, that is well, that's the point I was trying to make because you told like the Europeans considered the black and indigenous people to be without a soul. And that is mm -hmm. like the European supremacy mindset of that time, which kind of ignored all the history traditions and all that things and just sidelined it and used the word Indian to mean like an insult to be uncivilized. Unci and where civilization is a, considered to be a very European uh, term, yeah. like their My definition team, of civilization, yeah. which usually involved a lot of Jesus involved. So if you don't believe in <laughs> Jesus, you are yeah. not civilized. So not Jesus. A white Jesus, a white oh, with eyes, <laughs> with blue eyes, like this. Right. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. But do you, do you know what the major difference between this? How because I think this was more effective in Latin America than in India, based on mm -hmm. exactly one thing, which is Indians were immune to Eurasian diseases because we mm. had contact with Eurasia because of the land connection. But Latin America yeah. was so isolated from Eurasia. And when the Europeans came and smallpox killed, check my uh, percentage, but it killed around 60 to 70% of the entire native population, yeah. which is yeah, kind true. of yeah. decimating the entire culture. All your like priestly class, all those people just died and you had nothing to replace it with. So in that sense, I think it was much easier for like the Spanish and the Portuguese to 
spread their religion, spread their language, spread their culture much more widely in Latin America than, for example, in India, where we didn't have problems of like we, our population didn't die of any Eurasian diseases when the for the Europeans came. So even though India has been colonized, not completely, but to some extent since the 16th century, it's almost the same time that Latin America got colonized, and we've been colonized for 1947, while most Latin America countries gained independence in 1810 to 1824 time. We don't speak English. We, most of us don't are not Christian. Most of us don't eat with forks and spoons like Europeans. So <laughs> yes. there wasn't this complete cultural periverod. I don't know the English for that. Uh, and it turns on its head in Latin America. Yes. Yeah. India didn't have that just because of that. I, I believe just because that so many people were there in India, it was almost impossible to like completely change the culture the same way they did it in Latin America, thanks to those yeah. European diseases which decimated the population. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's new information for me. Like I didn't know that actually India, and I thought, you know, my thought, it was that like uh, they were heavy populated, um lands yeah in latin america we some regions yes but a lot of regions they were like pretty much empty so it was easier to but yeah sure no actually there's like um really interesting book um la conquista de america latina the conqueror of uh, latin america uh it's a book i wrote from uh, of um it's um he is from uh, French but uh, he tell all these facts like um at the beginning just at the beginning like the first two years um die at least eight million people just in South America yeah. the people he said he said like people just die like flies like uh, yeah. you know like yeah. they just die 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 yeah, like, um, yeah, maybe that's uh, the reason why we are like, why we are like, we are and, more, uh, more, more, how to say, Europeanized than other colonies that have been yes. colonized. There's this book by Jared Diamond called Guns, Jumps and Steel, which is, I think, an absolute must read for anybody. Even if, if you can read a language, you should read that book. <laughs> and yeah. in that, he makes three arguments. Like why, so the basic premise of the book is, why did Europe colonize Asia, Africa, South America, and why, and not the other way around? So the arguments he makes is that one thing, since Australia and South America, North America were geographically isolated, people didn't have the immunity developed from diseases which eurasians did that's how smallpox killed the people in latin america but they didn't kill the people in india second was uh the uh, domestication of horses horses were found in modern day steppe which is like ukraine russia that area that was the first place to domesticate horses horses didn't exist in latin america so when yeah. the conquistadors came with horses, they had this immediate military advantage over the natives because the natives were just on feet. Horses can cover like maybe 100 kilometers a day, while on foot you can do just 30. 
and the logistics change, the way you fight change, and just having this person who can control another animal while your people can't kind of psychologically made people think that they were better than us. And the mm -hmm. other thing was metals, Latin America and to and Australia, a lot of these isolated places didn't have the interaction between other cultures as much as Eurasia, China, India did, where these sciences like uh, the how to use metals to make weapons, they didn't um, get exchanged just because of that geographic isolation. So the argument that he made was that when you are when the geography is against you, you are more likely to um, you, you're likely to develop less quickly than the people who have the advantage. One more point in that book is that if you look at Europe to Eurasia, all the way to the East Coast, it is this one wide giant sphere, which is on the single latitude. So a single latitude means the weather in that latitude is constant. So if you're moving from, let's say, from Spain to uh, China in the same latitude, the weather in that is constant. But Latin America and North America, it is longitudinal it's not very wide but it's very uh how do you say long uh, vertically no. so each latitude sorry longitude no each latitude has a different weather so in the oh. north american canada it's like this alpine forest and then you have like the deserts of central uh, united states and then you have the lush rainforest of guatemala central america colombia and then you have the Amazon basin, and then you have the Atacama deserts of Chile, and then you have the Patagonia mountains, the Andes. So there's so many more geographical barriers and so many more geographical zones, which makes movement so much more difficult. And when movement is difficult, people don't interact that, that well, and technology doesn't exchange hands. So I think this book is, and he, he takes a lot of examples of uh, groups from Latin America, sorry, from the colonial period, of colonization of Latin America. And I think you should absolutely read it. It's one of my favorite books. It's called yeah. Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared Diamond. So You know, you, I remember this um, in the beginning with um, indigenous people. Yeah, they, they never, um, when they see um, a horse, like a man riding um, in a horse, uh, they thought that uh, it was a god. Exactly. That, exactly. Yes, yeah, so it really impressed me, the idea that uh, it was so new for them that they say, yeah, this person, it's a god. And it's like a full, like the body, it was one body. And um, yeah, it's so... Yeah. How is the name again of the book? I was trying to... Guns, Guns? Germs, uh -huh. and Steel. Yes, oh germs and steel i have the notes yeah. for the book i can share it with you if you want so oh, yeah um, yeah something interesting yeah so let's move on then to the after co after colonization of uh colombia and latin america yeah but first i want to just to, to make a comment that it would be mm -hmm. really interesting to share our point of view uh, the point of view of colonization from uh, people from India, from Africa, and from Latin America to see this kind really of cool. like, 
yeah, it will be really cool. So just <laughs> maybe you should do, yeah. maybe you should do a podcast on how to get colonized, <laughs> featuring <laughs> <Latin> America. <laughs> Yeah, from dream point of view, because I'm really, I, I also, sadly, I know just a little bit about um, African history, and I will really like to know more about that. But I know that, that it's really a big continent, so it's just different point of view as well, but it will be really interesting. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll, think, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. How to get colonized no. properly. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, that was a joke. Don't get, don't go colonizing anybody. Okay. Maybe you should tell that to Mr. Putin. <laughs> it's about cologne. Sorry. It's about perfume. Oh. Don't do that. Never, I see what you did there. Brilliant. <laughs> so let's move on. Yeah. Let's, so let's move on. So one thing, Andy, which I have been asking this question to all Latin American countries that I do the podcast with. I still mm -hmm. haven't got an answer, which I understand very well. So here is, here is the premise. Latin America was colonized by Spain. All the people that colonized Latin America are Spanish. And they divided this big colony into small, small territories to rule it easily. So we have like Mexico. I don't know how they divided. So we have like places like Mexico, Central America, and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sorry? it was a uh, NATO, like Mexico, well, Mexico, Peru, and mm -hmm. Colombia. It was like the main. Um, yeah, um, uh, the divisions of the Spanish colony, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. And this was kind of like under the, uh, the leadership from Spain. And at one point, Spain kind of. Napoleon happened. Napoleon kind of took over Spain. And then yeah. the colonies are like, okay, we don't have like a regal overlord in Spain anymore. We can do whatever the fuck we want. And then they started their own countries or not their own countries. Like they, the colonies kind of became independent. And then the Spanish king came back. I think who was the king? Charles or somebody. And he tried to get back the colonies and he, and that's when like the whole independence movement in Latin America started. If I didn't fuck up my history. Right. So my question kind of is that why, what defines the borders of let's say Mexico and Guatemala and Colombia, because all of you guys are basically the same people in the sense, but all of you came from Spain, all of you speak Spanish. So how did the identity of Mexican Colombian, Guatemalan, develop. Why did you guys decide to, you know, become separate countries in the way that you did become separate countries right now, the whole of Latin America? Okay. Well, I have like my first uh, thought about it is like, uh, well, we, from the beginning, we have different uh, uh, people, you know, like in Mexico, in Guatemala, in Colombia, from the beginning, before uh, colonization, they yeah. um, live different people, yes? Okay. Uh, they speak different language. And also the weather is different in every region, as you said. Right. And uh, well, the, the like Spaniard, um, they, they did uh, this kind of division between. And they, the two most important like places, it was uh, Mexico, and um, and Peru and why there? Because they could like the, they control all the um, co 
colonies from there because in Peru, it was the um, Inca Empire. Yes, so mm -hmm. it was very powerful. And in Mexico, well, they have like the Mayas, Aztecas and all this. So they were like the most important, um, like um, a strategic centers, uh, uh, strategic centers, centers. yeah, strategic okay. centers uh, to rule the the empire. But the, well, the empire, not the the, the colons, yeah. But well, I think uh, because of before it was people already living there because of the weather, because of the um, the land. It's also different. Like uh, in some regions, you can uh, grow um, better uh, potatoes than in another region. So you start to eat different. Maybe you are close to the sea, so you can uh, fish. You can have fish. Or maybe you are close to a mountain, so you can, um, I don't know, you can cultivate, um, you can grow up another kind of uh, food. So I think that, yeah, the food, obviously the language that exists before of that i i don't know exactly at which at which point like they start to separate and they say well i know about the colombia a little bit um but for example about brazil i just don't know because it's a really it's a huge country and it's another kind of history because uh it was not, they didn't, they were colonized by the Portuguese people. So right. it was similar, but not the same. So, right. and um, well, in Argentina, they, um, you know, Argentina is a really dif difficult topic because uh, in Argentina, pretty much they don't, right now, there's not indigenous people because yeah. they kill everyone, like pretty much. Yeah, well, and Chile still exists, but Chile is just, it's a really long country. I just, they're really different from the uh, south to the north. It's just, you you, you see, this is another yeah. latitude that you said. Um, but, but I think that you asked me about like the national um, Identity. community. Well, I just don't know exactly the reason that <laughs> maybe... I just don't this know. Is, this question, I know Latin American that I talked to has given me an answer which I can understand. Mm -hmm. Either they are very mm -hmm. not sure of that reason, but I find it very curious because South America can be one country in the sense that <laughs> you guys are so similar, you guys speak the same language, you guys worship the same God, and there are like differences between, based on the latitude, there are so many indigenous people, but you can actually live like India. India is more diverse than the whole of North and South America in terms of language and uh, different kinds of people that live there. But Latin America, in a way, is, it's an, for a people like, for a person from India like me, it's such an anomaly that it's so similar but so different in that there's so many different countries who are so similar. And if I ask, why are you different? What, what makes a Venezuelan different from a Colombian in the times of the Spanish? Not right now. Right now, there might be a lot of different, different reasons. But when you guys decide to become like two different countries, it's very difficult, very complex to explain. Correct? Yeah. 
I hear you, and I think that you are like uh, trying to propose me this big Latin American unite with like a big revolution, a big country. <laughs> we can be better. <laughs> just unite. We are pretty yes. much the same. Yes. No, actually, um, I thought a lot about that because, well, like uh, this European Union, well, we can have like this uh, Latin American Union. It w we will be great. You know, we have everything. We had uh, weather, land, uh, pretty much everything. But, um, well, I think that it, it was also because, uh, well, in this period of independent periods that it was really close from each other in Colombia, in Peru, in Venezuela. And... Um, the the idea that I can think it's also because of economic interest interest like um, in uh, for example in Colombia in La Gran Colombia there were a lot of educated people and they want to rule countries you see like um, Simon Bolivar I mean he, like they we call like the the free like the he was like the one that gave us freedom but it was Liberador. more complex Liberador. El Liberador. Libertador. Libertador. Sí. Libertador. Yes. And he, was, um, he was part of the independence in Colombia, in Bolivia, in uh, Venezuela, in Ecuador as well. So um, I think that maybe it, it was because of economic interest. You know, like uh, some people, they want to rule. It's more easy to uh, rule when you make a division. So maybe that's why the reason, because, yeah. I'm from Cúcuta. I'm really close to Venezuela. I actually use words uh, in the in a Venezuela way. You know, not not because of my aunt's accent, but uh, but uh, I call something uh, in a way that uh, people from Bogota they don't call it like that. Right. Yes, but they call uh, it's the Venezuelan name for one thing. So we're really close, we look similar. Well, now we are not that similar because, well, in the 20, at the end of the 20th century, a lot of um, people from Europe came to Latin America. So now, for example, in Venezuela, well, after the uh, World War II, people from Venezuela, now they're a mix. There's a lot of uh, also German people there, uh, French people there, so maybe now we are not that similar as in the past, but uh, at the beginning I thought that these um, divisions, I don't know, maybe, maybe I think that it was because of economic uh, and political interest, you know, like um, inter interest, interest. Interest, yeah. Interesting, yes. but I think it, so, it makes logical um, sense. It's, yeah. it's only logical, like... Um, it, to have like smaller countries to make mm -hmm. it easier to rule and I, i'm I'm, mm -hmm. I'm against big centralized unitary governments so even though i yeah. propose to you to have one grand latin america i don't want it to be mm -hmm. one unitary government i want to be like maybe a federation if it happens yeah. I, I i just want to like travel entire latin america without having to fight for a visa for every country so i'll be like quite happy if that's the case do you know do you know that I don't need visa to go to Latin America? I just can go with my um, uh, with my passport. passport. Not but with my me. passport. I can go with my DNA, with my DNA, with my national Colombian document. I can uh -huh. go to South America free, any wow. problem. Not need uh, of passport. 
exactly but it's not the same for me since i'm like i'm, yeah, since okay. I'm like a real <laughs> indian i'm a, I'm, I'm, just, I'm a real indian not the indian that columbus <laughs> was looking for so i have to actually show a visa in every fucking uh state i just want to this? say it. i just want to say it i just want to say that i can travel free from south america oh, okay 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 <laughs> more respect <laughs> do you know yeah. um I think Nicaragua or Ecuador is the only visa-free country for Indians in the in North America. I don't know which country. It's like Honduras, Nicaragua, one Central American country. So what happens is a lot of Indians who want to be illegal immigrants to United States fly to these countries and go through Mexico and try to jump the border to um, United States. And that's quite... That's quite interesting. It's like India has no connection with any Central American country, but they made visa for Indians freeze just so that it will fly there and try to get to America. So I think Central American countries are very smart in that regard. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So um, let's talk more about Simone de Beauvoir. No, Simone de Beauvoir. Uh, what's Simone his name? Simone de Beauvoir. Beauvoir. Dude, wasn't that the French philosopher, that woman? Yes. You want and to speak th- about This guy's him? name is the same? Simon, say it again. Uh, uh, who Simon. Am I? I'm talking about Bolivar, the guy, the founder of Bolivia. <laughs> Dude, it's the same name, isn't it? No, it's totally different. Simon Bolivar. <laughs> but you pronounce it like Simon de Beauvoir, and I thought, we are, are we going to speak about, about? Yeah. <laughs> okay, dude, I'm ready. It, but dude, they are so similar. Like Simone de Beauvoir, that's the French, and Simone huh? Bolivar. I, I forgot to say yeah. Simone Bolivar. Bolivar. The accent Bolivar. is in the. Uh, okay. uh-huh, Bolivar. Bolivar. Mm-hmm. See, see, in French, the R just disappears. But if you say, yeah. try say say his name in a French accent. Simon Bolivar, Simon Bolivar. Okay, and say the philosopher's <laughs> name. Uh, Simon de Beauvoir. Ah, yeah, okay, it's, okay. It's, well, the sound. Yeah, if you're here for the first time, yeah, maybe it's like a little. Yeah, there is a difference, but I got I got confused. <laughs> so uh, he is an important figure in South American Latin American history. How do yes. you guys see him? How does Colombia see him? Um, as the this hero, you know that he was. Um, it, it's really interesting also because he was not uh, an Indian indigenous people. You know, they were like actually the people that made the revolution that. Uh, uh, was part of the independent process, they were half, um, well, not always half, like they were, um, they have more um, European blood than indigenous people, and they were educated and they were smart, you know, they, Simon Bolivar, you see um, his picture, he looks like an European guy. He looks like know? an aristocrat. So, an aristocrat. Yeah. Yeah, he was, of course, all these people. That's what I say about the power and the, the political, um, like, interesting, because uh, they they have uh, education in Europe. They 
they just maybe they don't care that much about indigenous people even if they say so you know like they want to gain the the approbation of the people of the population but they were pretty much uh european guys all these um independent um uh, figures they were europeans also andres bello also he was the, the name you see everything um they all sometimes they were like a mix like uh they have um his father he was from spain and his mother he was uh, an indigenous so uh, well about him yes our history it's about he was great he was born in caracas venezuela well at that time he was born in um, this country that was uh Gran not, yeah not exactly venezuela but um yes and yeah we see like he is like he was a great man he fight for our for our rights and he gave us freedom and he was like really like amazing and uh we are still well our independence day it's in the 20, 20th uh july um and um yeah i mean uh now now a lot of people realize that he was like i think that a lot of in these times like um a lot of people not only in latin america but uh, we realize that this kind of historical figures that, that we pretty much like uh, love and like idealized, they were really savage people in, in a really bad way. I mean, like if you want to make the revolution, you have to kill a lot of people. So now like in the recent times, a lot of people like questions about uh, what he did. He killed a lot of people. He uh, was like- A lot uh, of people being the, who did he exactly try to kill? Well, they, they have like, um, you know, the government army. Yes, there was like this government army and- Of the Spanish. Um, of the Spanish. Of the Spanish, yeah, the Spanish, yeah, okay. Spanish army. So the people that, that were from the, from Colombia, from La, La Gran Colombia, Venezuela, like normal people that uh, they were educated, they want to, they say, okay, we live here, we have war here, why they have to rule upon us they just came here and stole things and why okay my mom is an indigenous people i have lived here why i can have this power i want the power so for me like this idealization of some someone and an historical fig figure it's really dangerous because they also they wanted to uh, fight for their own uh, privilege, you know? Exactly. Yeah, they create yeah. a country of all these all, all things, but they are not this kind of heroes, you know? They just happen to do something and after that create the country. And uh, yeah, they killed people from the Spain uh, army. So yeah, that was the, the, the situation. What I think about him, he, they actually, there's a book of Gabriel Garcia Marquez about the Otoño del Patriarca, like um, autumn of the patriarch. Patriarch, uh-huh. Yeah, and he tell, um, 
no, 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 sorry, 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 my mistake. It's not that book. It's another book. I know that I don't remember the name. Okay, I will tell later the name. I, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of the book, but uh, basically Gabriel Garcia Marquez, he means did um, like a recreation of the Simon Bolivar figure. So he tell us like it's a novel, it's a novel, like it's uh -huh. historical fiction. But okay. It's not pretty much historical fiction, but has a lot of, uh, they never, uh, like Garcia Marquez, he never uh, said um, to in the book that he was uh, Simon Bolivar, but there's a lot uh -huh. of, um, historical coincidence so yeah it's right, fiction right. Uh, with the historical right. content and he actually portrays a really human and uh, lovely simon bolivar like uh, he has this relationship with um um with this woman that they were like pretty much oh so much in love uh, they suffered together manuelita science is the name of the of the he was not uh, officially um her husband, her wife, but uh, yeah, they were like this, oh, this beautiful couple, like they fight for our freedom, you know, they are so amazing, like Simon Bolivar, Manuelita Sainz, they write each other letters, and well, it's all this romantic affair, and in the middle of the revolution of the independent process, so yeah, this, the novel is really interesting, if you, I, I think that it's super, no, I think that it's another name, but no, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's just, I don't. You're, you're confused um, all your books today. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, it's because, you know, I have all this information in my head and it's in Spanish. And when I change in English Same. and today I, I was speaking in Russia like two days ago. So now, you know, yeah, it's, I have so, a lot of information to process. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, um, I think that nowadays is okay. He was, he, he did that good, but, um, it was, um, just a his, historical figure, nothing mm. really. Yeah. You know what I find interesting about the freedom movements in North America and Latin America compared to the freedom movements in Africa and Asia it's that it, the people who fought for independence in North America and South America were kind of the privileged elites from those European countries who kind of believed that they weren't getting enough privileges and they were getting it taken away from their mother countries. But in the case of Africa and Asia, it's more of the elites too of yeah. But the natives of India and Africa, because our biggest uh, freedom fighting movement was kind of headed by elites who kind of benefited from the British system. Gandhi was an elite. Yeah. Nehru was an elite. Yeah. All these yeah. people were elites of the Indian in the caste hierarchy, too. They were elites and in the, uh, the British economic system, too. They were kind of elites who kind of thought that why can't we take over the role of the British and not let our privileges be limited by a colonial overlord? So I think these freedom movements in both these countries, in the United States is also a good example of that because all their founding fathers were like slave-owning elite men. And it's yeah. kind of similar to think that 
even though our freedom struggle is kind of portrayed as this people's revolution where the entire people kind of supported the fight against the British, it's very clear that the people who were leading it were the educated English-speaking high-caste elites of India, and it was the same in Latin America too, and in the United States. Uh, Africa, I'm not very sure. I don't have a lot of examples in that in that case, but it is always these sort of movements stem from when and the elite group is not happy with the overload. I think that mm-hmm. is kind of a recurring pattern in a lot of evolutions. It's not when the mass of the people are really pissed that revolutions happen or independence movements happen. It's when the elite kind of loses their confidence in the overload and kind of gives the mass the mass a kind of support to overthrow. And they kind of lead that. In in Indian case, that is kind of true. And from your uh, uh, example of uh, Simon Bolivier, I think it is also very similar. So I think I should read up more on that, how the elites are more. Yeah. Like it's it's very easy. Like you can make a revolution if you don't have power. I mean, you need certain kind of privilege to do something, you know, to, yeah. So if you don't have at least a little bit of power, a little bit of knowledge, how how will you do that? I mean, like uh, normal people, like uh, they have to work every day they don't have time to think yeah. about oh okay let's change the system because they are worried about okay while i would eat but yeah usually are elites that they have time they have read uh, they have money they have uh, like uh, contacts so yeah like um, mm. that's the, the thing interesting so uh let's move a little he- ahead into the into the 20, 20th century because mm-hmm. after Colombia got so let, let's just summarize that Colombia Simon de Bolivar Latin America got independent there was this big country called Grand Colombia which include Panama Colombia Ecuador Venezuela parts of North, uh, Peru and Brazil this mm-hmm. colony this uh, federation or, or this country let's call it lasted only 12 years or something and then it uh, devolved into all these different countries of Ecuador Venezuela etc and then there were like two political sides, the liberals, conservatives, something like that. And that kind of continued on till the 1950s, where you guys had the thousand day war, or what was that called? 10 year war, something what? like that. Some big war. Guerra. In the, no, guerra, guerra, yes. No, I guerra. understand, but uh, exactly when? Uh, that was. Been, the, uh, I'm talking about after. the one before the civil war of it started in 1960 something. The one before that. About uh, con- um, the war about conservative on liberals. Yeah, that one. Because we have a lot of fights, we have a lot of war, blood. It's everywhere in Colombia history, so it's very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> difficult to <laughs> point which one Yes. <laughs> But, uh, well, yeah, it's actually, like, maybe today it's not such a big deal. But in the past, yeah, we were basically only have, like, two um, political ideas and they were opposite, you know. And people, they kill each other 
just if you are liberal okay you cannot talk with me you are my enemy and if you are conservative uh you cannot talk with me you um are my enemy and it's really and you're interesting like united because, states right now but yes <laughs> pretty much but but um gabriel garcia marquez he said that the only difference that he uh see that he saw in the liberal people and conservative people is that the the conservative people they went to church at six at six and the liberal people they went to church at eight so it's pretty much a joke but to to say that they were pretty much the same like um just you know you when you born you have these ideas, so you need to be liberal because your father was liberal because your grandfather was liberal. You can only marry with uh, a girl that is liberal. But actually, it's a lot of um, interesting romantic histories in that period because, oh yeah, I am liberal, all my family have been liberal, but I fall in love with this guy and he is conservative. So That is Romeo and Juliet. That is exactly yes, the story of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> I have to run away and start over in a new land. Yes. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, this um, only two sides mentality that uh, just really affects people, the way the people see world. But uh, well, that's what we have. How are the Colombian liberals and conservatives different from the conservative liberals of, let's say, some other European yeah. country? Is it like well, okay. abortion rights, LGBT question, yeah. stuff like that? That's really, interesting. That's really interesting because in the past, yes, in the 20th century, um, you, you see like liberal, okay, they try to be more liberal, but you need to understand that we are a really Catholic country. So yeah. avert all this, no, so that's not good. Um, even for the liberals, even for the liberals, abortion was too much. It was too much but in the past now actually it's it's quite interesting but now liberal uh, we have like um conservative party and liberal party but now these two parties are conservative in regarding to what? In, in, in all the sense like they are from the um from the right like they uh -huh. don't have this political ideas about right. Now they exist uh, like um, the Green Party and uh, now they create like this uh, party of like the union people and these kind of things. And yes, they are more open about uh, abortion, about feminism, about like this kind of topics that matters. But actually now in Colombia, to be part of the liberal party is pretty much to be conservative because it's a party that it's so old that a lot of ideas they never change they never mm. you know you yeah so it's pretty much up from the right uh, left if you want so, to progressive like this kind of movement of progressism you have to go to these new parties that they are pretty much now Nowadays, they're really popular. Actually, to the last week, uh, there were elections in Colombia for senators, and there will be presidential elections in May. So a lot of uh, like this um, conservative party and liberal party, they didn't have like that much um, 
votes as this new uh, parties, you know, like about young people, about actually change something, about, you know, like give a power to women. It was really historical because, um, well, it was like we have this, um, a black woman, he was a candidate for um, presidential. She, she didn't want she she was but he has uh she has a lot of votes so she had a lot of votes so he was really like the country i think that it's going a really more open direction you know about the, the abortion now it's legal in colombia uh so yeah it's like uh it's for me it seems like uh, there's a lot of conservative people but you know these young people they really want to change everything and they have um in the po in the political like a uh, panorama a lot of young people they are changing the world the the mayor of bogota she's a lesbian she's an openly lesbian wow. so it was a, no, yeah but I, but I think for latin america is that very shocking to have a lesbian yeah. mayor is it yeah Still, yeah, it is, but uh, well, you know, when you're good with so in something, just people, that's just what it is. It's, yeah, for me, it was really a, a shock too. Hmm. I think that for everyone, she was pretty popular, but um, in the elections, you have like, oh no, she will never win because, well, everyone knows that she's lesbian, maybe all people, they will not vote for her. So yeah, and for the... For the presidential elections, we have a candidate uh, that uh, he was um, he was part of the guerrillas in the nineties in the net net another like he was more about M um, nineteen M nineteen is the name yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. For, um, yeah so he was part of that so yeah and he he's I am really like he has a really good opportunity to actually be election as a Colombian president. So it's really like, no, it's so, just interesting to see. Andy, so let, let us pause for a moment. Yeah. We need to go back a little bit to explain about the gorilla situation because uh, without context that it, people won't be able to understand what that means. <laughs> so let's go to even the most, how do you say, the, bl the bloodiest part of modern Colombian history, which is from the six, 70s, 80s, and 90s, where this guerrilla movement started sprouting out in all over the country. There were conflicts with the government. This was also the time when the drug cartels kind of became powerful, and that also became a problem for the Colombian government. And what happened in those two years and a Netflix documentary kind of shaped the way Colombia was perceived in an international front. So let's put some light onto that. What happened in the 70s and 80s, which kind of led to that much instability in Colombia? Well, all the, like, basically the things, like uh, people, uh, they were really inconform of the way they live. So they decide to create this um, uh, group, like uh, with, uh, they have gangs. So they say, okay, we, we need to, to change something. So there's no like a pacific way to do it. So let's, um, they just take arms, our arms and do something just to fight for what is right. So, and that way, can, and can usually- I please, Can I just uh, 
Utochnit, like uh, ask one thing. In okay. every documentary movie series about Latin America, I see it's so yeah. easy to find weapons. Why is that? Okay. I- I'm asking that from an Indian context where I never seen a real weapon anybody use in like uh, on the streets at all. Why is it so easy to get weapons in Latin America? Well, it's not easy. I mean, for the groups, for the they have contacts with another groups over the sea. You know, I just don't want to see. I just don't want to say this. Um, but they just have they 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 um like munitions. They are not from Colombia. You know, uh-huh, yeah, and this yeah, is really. All. Yeah, it's a really interesting question because how is the way to like commercialize this like weapons uh, and drugs? So everything is because of they 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 were available to sell drugs and to exchange drugs and for weapons for not for Latin America. It was not in Latin America. It was over the seas, but I don't want to mention any country. <clears throat> I, I, this um, country have really good uh, burgers, I heard, <laughs> and really fat people. So take your guess. <laughs> so, so you know, like this, um, but, certain but, countries. But but it's so interesting because um, I I kind of understand that there is no production of weapons in Latin America, so, but it's very armed, very armed. The uh, gangs. It's almost like there's a parallel militia which fights against the government and the government needs um, to be even more armed. For example, when I watch documentaries about Latin America, an average police in Mexico, Colombia has more body armor, has more weapons than an average soldier in India who fights in the border. For me, the police and the army, it's so, dif- it's so difficult to differentiate because I never seen a police carry a submachine gun out in the streets in India, because the, they're not trying to counter people with submachine guns. So it's really, it's quite an interesting question to ask, where do all these high quality weapons come from? And why is it so easily available where gangs can just, you know, go around the yeah. streets with these weapons? Well, when you have money because of drugs, you can buy pretty much everything. So if you if you are really good, that's a really good thing about Colombians. They do really know how to negotiate. So if you know how to, okay, let's make this deal. So yeah, they have weapons. They have, and they realize that a really good way to to pay for the way they live because they usually that's another thing because of our geography it was really easy to uh, live in the mountains um uh, army and police they will not uh, find you so our geography it was also really important to to these guerrillas to 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 born you know and uh, yeah in the jungle in the mountains like this uh kind of geographical um, um, places, like they were really far from like the the cities. They were the really ideal um, places to to like to create this kind of um, new guerrillas to live there, to 
um, grow the marijuana and cocaine and all these kind of things. So they realized that in, at that time, United States was really into drugs with all these, okay, drugs, cocaine. And uh, in Colombia, the weather uh, is just perfect to all year round. You can grow up uh, marijuana and cocaine all year round. So, um, so they realized that, okay, the, the money was there and actually not, not, not uh, it was not cheap. They were in um, foreign um, money. So uh, it was more expensive, obviously in Colombia. So yeah, they decide to, okay, we're going to fight to against the government. And the way we are, uh, our plan, like our economical plan, it will be just to sell drugs sell drugs all over the world we will say that we will have money to uh like to have a financial um the like um social goods financial support financial yes to fight the government so that's the way like um like everything pretty much start guerrillas they at the beginning they just there was they were trying to go to do good but you know when you have money and you have a lot of money it's just really easy to change your interest in so so you you're not um worry about kill people kill civilians kill innocent people you just want the power you just want the money so in this scenario in medellin was born this really famous uh, colombian guy pablo escobar everyone knows about him so he was born really in a poor, in a poor uh, neighborhood in Medellin. And he, at that time, well, he, he was really good with business and with people. He was like a really charismatic people. And he was not part of any guerrillas. No, he wasn't. But he realized about that, not um, the government and uh, a lot of uh, different people, they realized that um, drugs it was like the perfect business. So now uh, the guerrillas, yes, they were in the drug business, but not only guerrillas, like uh, these kind of groups, um, narcotraficantes, you know, this kind of like carteles, carteles, they were not from guerrillas. No, they only okay. care about the money. They don't want to like change the nothing. They just care, okay, this is our um, business and we'll do this. Right. And uh, Pablo Escobar, he was part of this, but he was really special because he really wanted to change Colombia. And he realized, I mean, he didn't finish like the, like he only finished the, the school, you know, he was like really poor educate, educated, but he really, he was looking for um, approval. So mm. he has... Um, at that time money and he said okay i want to rule this country i have money already enough money i want to be part of the politician i want to be a politician i want to be a senator in colombia yes mm. and obviously it was this kind of like a secret but everyone knows that he works with um narcotrafico yeah so yeah 
and but he actually he went to the to the congress and he well finally like it was really obvious and he couldn't um be part of like the a real elections but he was like really there and you know he was like for like this little he just became a senator in colombia so wow. after that yeah yeah he but and you know a lot of people it's really like interesting because a lot of people see Pablo Escobar. He was like um, a lot of people see him like uh, Robin Hood, you know, because he really he do help people in Colombia. And at the beginning, like a lot of people, uh, you hear the story, you say, "Look, he just he started with nothing. He was just a poor boy in this poor um, neighborhood, and he 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 is the." the most rich person pretty much in the world right now like uh, mm. he has this amazing business running so you know a lot of people say say Pablo Escobar like a good example of an entrepreneur like right. yeah he did it he he just really did it <laughs> but uh well not in a really ethical way he he was part of like this war between cartels and they killed a lot of um people they put bombs in on planes they put bombs in the buildings so at that time with uh, my my parents they were like uh, 20 they, they just told me like uh, we were so scared to go to to the supermarket because we didn't know like maybe there it's a bomb we don't know like uh, or maybe you are in the wrong time at the in the wrong place at the wrong time and in, in the same place, there's like uh, these people that Pablo Escobar, he wants to kill. Mm. So maybe you are there and uh, you, you didn't know about that, but they kill you also because of the explosion right. or because, yeah. So it was a really violent time uh, for like every Colombian. And uh, like the news were full of bonds of, uh, you know, like this um, kind of, also war between the yeah the government uh fight against cartels but cartels fight against themselves you know because of money power yeah. all of these yeah. things actually pablo escobar he was in jail he was for a long he, for a short no he, he had the most coolest jail in the world where he went to his jail which had a football yes. field and he would bring in strippers and prostitutes yes. and football uh -huh. players like professional football players dude yeah. That, yeah so that's yale, you know that's the definition public by definition of yale so yeah, exactly. and he did that because uh, he wanted to like um stop um the fight because at, at, at before he he went to jail it was really violent like a lot of people they kill a lot of people and like from both sides they were tired like uh public Escobar, he said like i don't want to fight anymore okay um I want to just live a normal life. I have two kids, my wife, okay. And the government, he was also, the government, you know, he has um, spent a lot of money trying to find this um, narco dealer. And uh, and also they, they have um, support from the USA, from the CIA, from the FBI, from the FBI. CIA mm -hmm. and FBI. 
Okay, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So actually, in this kind of operation, there was really um, no, the U.S. government was really interested in just to, you know, this this guy, and that is just basically he, he's just rich and it's in Colombia and he he was you know like, uh, and Pablo Escobar he actually proposed to Colombian government to pay all Colombian debt. So he said, I, I, I have a, I have that much money. Okay, let me free. I will never sell more drugs, but I, I just pay for all these uh, debit, like external debit that Colombian has. And yeah, good for the government, good for me, just let me free. And actually, uh, Colombian politicians, they, they thought like, well, well, this, this just totally can change the 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 country for better but obviously you know, usa if if the colombian government um will do that they will say like you are um, um no it's not good you're like a narco narco state yes. and uh, yeah like, state ruled by narcos and he he was actually i think that now it's not that much but there's a lot of like um in in the poly in the political political world people like politicians that uh, they benefit from narco traffic. So it's, it's, it's really sad, but it is what it is. Yeah, and after, well, all this operation, Pablo Escobar, he was killed. And um, all the people thought that, okay, maybe now uh, we'll, we'll have peace, like a peace, sorry, peace. But it was not like that because it's just when something is so lucrative with something that, they has so much money in it. Just people don't want to let that go, you know? Right. And guerrillas took over and that's uh, after Pablo Escobar died in FARC, I know, like this uh, revolution's uh, force of uh, Colombian. Um, they took over and they say, okay, Pablo Escobar, he doesn't have like more power here. Now we, this is our business now. So we have like this, also different difficult periods uh from the like the end of the 19s to like pretty much night night to the to the peace uh agreement between um FARC yeah. and the Colombian yeah do you know what's interesting about that peace agreement the current leader mm -hmm. of FARC F FARC actually studied in Rudin I was yes. reading up on it yeah I was like <laughs> Okay, this guy might Actually, have been I... sitting in this table here, learning medicine, yes. <laughs> and then going on to fight as a gorilla in Colombia. So you in never know. Yes, in my university in Colombia, I was really popular because of that. A lot of uh, um, guerrillero, partisan, partisan. How is that? Yeah. In... Partisan also in. in... Partisans. Yeah, a lot of partisans, they also study in my university in Colombia. So yeah, and they were like, they were at the beginning, they were highly educated people that wanted to change like the country for better. Like, like all these process drugs and uh, they make horrible things. Um, they um, like um, with, you know, with kids, like uh, kids from eight Soldiers. years, they out of the they were soldiers, yeah, like um, it's just insane. They also kidnapped a lot of um, political figures, 
Uh, yeah. Ingrid Betancourt was like a really famous um, 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 woman that uh, it was like more than ten years in the kidnapping That's by the by, yeah yeah it's so it's just really I mean, difficult. Does the kidnapping happen right now? So if I was a hitchhike through Colombia, would I get kidnapped? <laughs> no, no, no. Sure? No, because well. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe you will be the first in a lot of time. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> maybe no, I'm the first no, Indian no. to be kidnapped in Latin yeah. America. <laughs> no, um, thank God the situation. I think that it's just better after the peace agreement in um, 1915. Uh, obviously, 1915 um, or 2015. Yeah, 2015, 2015, sorry, yes. But, 2015. But, 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 that was rejected by the Colombian people in a vote. 51 to 49. Yes. It, why? Well, you know, why? we are still, uh, I still uh, ask myself that, like, why? Because, you know, like this, um, the, pres the president, Juan Manuel Santos, that he actually won a Nobel Prize, uh, a peace Nobel Prize. He wanted just to make um, everything so like clear for people that he say, yeah, this agreement is perfect. But I also like he he didn't have the necessity to do so to ask to people because pretty much the agreement was uh, approved at that time. But he wanted to say like approved by the government. You mean approved by the government and um, mm -hmm. by the. Negotiation between guerrillas and government. So they actually uh, they wrote the agreement together. You know, in the in in La Habana, Cuba, they spent more than six years to negotiate it and all right. this process. And I think that for me, from my point of view, uh, it was a mistake that he actually wanted to ask to people what they think about it. because the the like the, the decision it was not. Uh, uh, it was not the, the people were bought, but uh, they. It was not just like um, this um, ideal uh, elections, but actually, this these elections they didn't have power over the agreement. You know, just uh, the mm -hmm. president like he wants to make everything perfect. So let, let let's see. Yes, we made the agreement, and also everyone like all Colombian people they approve that. So we are great. But actually, it was at that time um, this campaign about this, you know, like uh, these guerrillas, they were um, from the Marxist Leninism. They, they have this kind of ideas. And uh, so in the right left in Colombia, they create this kind of um, bad propaganda. And they say, if we vote yes to peace, will become like venezuela like oh, um, like a mass like like hugo chavez comes does socialism and yeah. everything fucks up like we we will be socialists we will not have uh, money anymore food anymore like they create this and people was really afraid so they say but how is that possible because part of the agreement was that uh, the guerrillas now, um, after the agreement, they will have political representation in Congress. So yeah, if you say this to like a regular people, they say, how? How they kill people? 
They kill kids, they kidnap. How, why the government will give them uh, money, your power? Mm. No, that's not possible. I will not allow that. And well, yeah, I understand that point of view, but also people need to understand that um, Colombian army, they tried really hard for more than pretty much 20 years and they couldn't. They couldn't uh, fight um, these guerrillas because they were really strong. And guerrillas, they also couldn't, um, you know, so they were tired, a lot of violence. So this kind of agreements, it just the way for me it was like a good agreement, you know, okay, a lot of people have died already enough. Yes, maybe I will have to like to pass things that uh, I didn't like, but um, just do this for the future. Just try to think about the future. But yeah, people in, in, in like in conclusion, people was afraid of Chavez, communism, socialism, uh, they both note. No, no. It was sad. It was really shocking because obviously I was, you know, I was like a lot of people in Colombia. We were sure that uh, obviously yeah, that's who, what will, I heard. who will say no to peace? That's insane. After all yeah. this violence you have lived, no, you have to be insane to say no to peace. But yeah, yeah, yeah. actually, yeah. But after it's, that, it's like, uh, like, I mean, it's like. Venezuela next door is literally burning. So people had either peace or have enough food in your stomach. And the propagandists had such a nice time saying, this is going to be Venezuela in a few months if you vote for peace, that people were like, okay, I'd rather have what I have now than lose something for the uncertainty of what can come in the future. Yes, Interesting. Exactly. Uh, that's a question I really want to ask. Like, it, it, I find it quite strange because I thought having lived under the trauma of such a conflict for so many years, people would be very enthusiastic to say, okay, let's get it over with. But that was yeah, the it, case. It was not um, just, it was really difficult for some people because like a lot of people, they have to vote, yes, to give uh, power to people that kill their families. Family, yeah. That's what's yeah. really different. Like this group, he killed my father, my family. He gives me nothing. Why exactly. on God's care, I will give them power. Like, uh, but uh, we, we in Colombia, we have like, we spoke a lot about the, um, about, how is this word? Perdón about reconciliation, reconciliation and about that yes like okay we have to let these things go like just we try to do this for the future so yeah forgive it's just really we we don't want to forgive we want to for no we don't want to forgive we want to forgive that's right uh, you don't want to forget Forget, forget, yeah. We don't want to forget. Ah, we want, want to, to forget. forget. Yes. Understood. So, yeah. what, what, so thing is that happened in 2016, but in 2019 and in the last few years, there's been a lot of riots happening in Colombia. And there's been a lot of news coming out of Colombia in terms of this um, people rising up against the government. 
was this a result of that peace uh, referendum or what's the reason for the recent uh, cases of uh, civil unrest in Colombia? No, I, I think that uh, people, that's really interesting because um, we have lived for this um, violent period of, of time that um, now people actually start to question and start to worry about things outside the conflict. So now we are speaking like um, we are talking about, okay, what will we do about our pension system? Okay, we mm. need to uh, to change this um, um, new, like um, we have to develop um, agriculture. Now we, ha- we are having good conversations about topics that matters. Yes, Understood. because in the mm. past, in the past, everything was about you no. Know, when this war will be finished? When I, I want peace. I want peace. I want to. Now that we have, I will not say that we exactly have like peace. Like everything is perfect. No, it's not. Uh, there's a still this small um, guerrillas going on. Yeah, it is. They still uh, um, do like um they sell drugs and all those kind of things yeah that thing is still going but it's not the same as like 20 years ago it's pretty much not the same so uh now that we like in general we have more um in good in good terms we have another worries that's what we're fighting for you know like we realize okay not everything was about and they also like the political campaigns in the, in the past, they were based only into yeah. I will uh, I will finish this war. We will win this war. Like all mm. this kind of oh, okay. We don't care about that. Okay, you are the presidential pres, pres, presidential candidate. Okay, I want to know what you really are about the pension system. Okay, I hear you out. I want to think. What do you think about abortion? Okay, I hear you out. So not. Right now, it's not uh, the discussion only about violence. It's more about, okay, we have this country, we have the opportunity, we need to do something. And a lot of people, obviously, are, are, are not conform with the way we are going. So that's why we like protest a lot and all this. And I'm really, like, I, I know that the future will be better after these elections and, uh, yeah. I just feel really like, you know, after all this suffer, my family and everything, um, I think we are doing like pretty well. Obviously we have like these economic problems, of course, but yeah, no people are just, are not kill uh, each other for, for the war. We are uh, protesting for our rights. And that's mm. just quite amazing. So you're optimistic now because since there's relative peace, people are more concerned about things that affect them rather than hope, praying that they don't get shot by a cartel or a guerrilla group. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good reason to be optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. dude. I have so much more questions to ask you, but I think we have come to the end of our time. But so okay. is there? Anything else that you would like to talk about, Colombia, before we conclude? I think we, we, we talk about everything about the really everything, pretty much, yeah. From the from the um 
beginning to the end, <laughs> pretty much. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. yeah. It was really interesting questions. Oh, thank really? you. <laughs> it was yeah. really it, 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 talking to you is always interesting. So I, I I didn't have any kind of how to say uh doubts that the conversation would go not in no, this talk. I I didn't have any idea about what kind of question we will you will ask me. Like I was this is all like in my mind yeah. right now. But yeah, it was better like that way. Yeah, it is better that way. I I, I prefer yeah. that. And when people don't know, they don't know something that I am like, good, don't make things up. So it's, yes. I like to keep that spontaneity to it. So, well, Andy, I, I really, really, really want to live in Latin America for some period of my life. I don't know where it's going to be. It can be Havana. It can be Bogota. It can be Kakuta. It can be Buenos Aires. <laughs> but I hope that I will be able to come to Latin America because it's a, it's a one part of the world which I really appreciate, which I really um, which I really value and want to spend at least some part of my life in. And uh, thank you so much for talking to us no. about Colombia. Yeah. You yeah. represented Colombia really well. I got to learn a lot. Uh, and I, I really liked comparing our colonial experience with your colonial experience because there's so uh. many similarities. There's so many different things as well. And uh, if I go to Colombia and someone calls me a, an Indian, I'm going to be like, thank you. Yes, <laughs> yes. that's the right way to do it. Like, thank you, yes. Yeah, sure. it, it, it's it's not an insult for me because I am literally an Indian. No. So yes, yeah, I am from... sure. so Andy, thank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your amazing conversations. I hope to see you again in the not too yeah. distant future. I will and be here. Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Let me finish the recording.